the blood tie. See, here in civilization, we got all the phraseology. Don't have no idea what it means. Go through all the practices. We do it in the court of law. Stick up our hands. Swear both copies of the covenant. Stand there and lie like a dog. We're so civilized that we civilized all the blood out of it. And so consequently, it is not an end to debate. As long as it's on paper, tear it up. It's mixed in blood. I mean, you just, you just don't. Your great-grandchildren might one of these days, they're sorry enough. But, boy, I mean, two men or two women or whatever, you just, you latch two families together in blood, brother, and I mean, it's something. When I married my son and his wife, this phrase came out of my spirit, marrying them, and I and I and I went over into the Holy Ghost, and I started I started speaking out of my spirit prophetically as I was marrying them, and I said this I've never thought of this with my mind. I said this I said you know any any human being on earth I don't care where they're from I don't care what their background is if you stop them on the street and ask them is a blood cut flow, blood, oh yeah, anybody say, yeah, it well, if the blood of two natural human beings mixed together is serious, how much more serious is an oath sworn in the precious sinless blood of Jesus? And Jesus has for you and for me to enter into our covenant because we are already in covenant with one another since we're in covenant with him. Consequently, the marriage covenant is the sworn oath of two born-again people in the blood of Jesus. You understand me? Uh, you ever seen anybody make a toast with a glass of wine? Where do you think that came from? Did you ever see two people at a wedding feed one another cake? Cake. That's where that came from. To feed one another the bread. The immutable evidence I'll feed you my body before I let you starve. That's where it came from. And that other person said the same thing. This was the blood agreement. And as they fed one another bread, indicating that if I eat your bread, since what I eat turns into my body and makes my and, and is what feeds my blood and we both eat the same bread, then that means your blood's in me and my blood's in you. Because, And in the Middle East today, it's called the covenant of salt. It's called the covenant of salt in the Bible. All of those hostages could get out of there if they could just steal a piece of one of those guys' bread. Because they still, they still act on it. To steal his bread and grab a piece of it, and he's sworn to die before he'll let you be hurt. That fellow take care and take your place as a hostage. But of course, our State Department never heard of anything that foolish. 
course, the whole Middle East lives on it, and that's the reason they can't negotiate with them. They can't even talk to those people. That's the reason they hate us. We're covenant breakers. The reason the American Indian hates this government, because they're covenant people. Well, they did too, but the ones that broke, the ones that they broke, their own people killed. And we didn't go kill our generals, and we didn't kill our president for breaking those covenants. And so then, had no more to do either, and they were sworn to kill us to the last man. And they still sworn to that. That's the reason in Africa nobody can figure out their politics. That's what's wrong in South Africa. Tribe after tribe after tribe after tribe that are, that are battling one another because they've got blood covenants that have been broken. Some of them are a thousand years old. It doesn't have any rhyme or reason to it. And some ignoramus white man goes in there and thinks he can solve it all. Can't solve anything. When you get all those guys together and say, well, hold up for one another. Well, listen, he don't think he's a black man. He's a Zulu. Listen, he don't care he's a black man. He's a Sutu. And right on down the line, see, and you get two of those tribes that are sworn to kill one another, they don't even know each other. They find out what tribe they're from, and the fight's on, brother. Right in the middle of the courthouse. Right in. And some Denny Dimwit from New Jersey thinks he's going to go over there and straighten it out in two weeks. Dear God. And everybody over there says, why don't you go home? There's only one thing to straighten it out. A bigger covenant in better blood. So a man may be here tonight, I don't know. I, I talked to a man just a few days ago, a good friend of mine, preacher, and he knows that. Walks in covenant with those people. And that's what he preaches when he gets that. I preach that while I'm there. I preach that blood covenant. Another friend of mine was in the middle of Africa. And they started into the bank, and his interpreter said, no, the banker's going to hold up his hand like this, and when he does, you match his fingers. Did you do that? And he said, what does that mean? He said, in our tribe, when we make covenant, we slip the ends of the fingers. And then we mix blood like this. And he said, when he holds his hand up there, that means that we are entering into a temporary covenant over this transaction. We swear to one another that we will be honest and true. And so he went through all that. And the day he was leaving, one of the missionaries said, would you do me a favor on your way through the country? Would you drive this truckload of stuff into the backwoods down in there and deliver it? He said, I wasn't going in there to preach. I'm tired. I'm wanting to go back home. I even prayed today. I accept over my travel. He said, I, I'm, I'm headed home, okay? He said, I've seen all of the mud huts I want to see. I'm tired of eating lizard and monkey, and I'm wanting to go home. And he said, but yeah, I'll drive you a load of stuff in there. And he said, I went in there and just parked that truck and got out of it. And he said, here comes this man, stark, naked, but that's what they all do. That's all he's dressed in. I mean, man, you in the deep woods, you know. <laughs> you way out back, man. <laughs> and this guy walked up there to him, and he said, I looked at him, what does he want? Said he walked up there and said, to find out 
Find out what? What great message you have come to deliver to him. Man, I ain't got no message for him. I'm not going to talk to a man that don't wear clothes. You know? Dear God, he said, I got off that truck and stepped into the stone age, brother. What can I say to a... <laughs> you know, don't wear nothing but cow dung and a stick. What are you going to do? You're centuries apart. And he said, that he, he followed him down there, went in this little hut, and you had to back through the door. And he said, here I sit. I got this guy under my chin. I'm sitting here in this place. I don't know what this is on the fire. I know how it feels, man, because I've been there, you know. And everybody starts to pray, and I'm looking out of one corner of my eye. I don't want nothing biting me on the heel while I'm <laughs> praying in here, you know. Oh, man. And, and have I been sent? <laughs> you know, the gift this man did. God, I... How are you going to talk to him? And he said, I'm sitting there praying in the Spirit. Oh, God, help me. So I got the chief on this side. I got this other guy over here sitting here next to me. He's an interpreter, you know, but I mean, he's dressed just like the chief. <laughs> People do carry wool blankets. Maybe it's 106. <laughs> nobody, nobody can remember far back enough to know where the tradition came that they carry these wool blankets, man. And he's sitting there and he said, God, what am I going to do? And the Lord reminded him of the way they Oh, and he said it flashed through his spirit. He turned around and he stuck his hand out like this. And he said, God, the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth, has sent me as his agent and his to cut covenant with you in his blood. He said right then that old man knew more gospel than a seminary graduate in the United States or, or, or Great Britain put together. Said he jumped up out of there. Whoa, 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 whoa! Started screaming, run out the door. Come one, come all. Come everybody. A city's agent. And he wants to make covenant with us in the blood of his own son. Got the whole village born again in 15 minutes. Because they understood when God swore in the blood of His Son and all he, Jesus never sinned, His blood is perfect. He was offered on the cross of Calvary for you. That meant God gives you all He has. You give Him all you've got and that's the end of that. That's the reason they pick up the book and it says, preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead. Where's the dead? God said, do it. Let's go do it. There's no question about it. But see, there's centuries of background here of people, the only law they know is what is formed by blood covenant relationship. Now, you and I are the product of God's 
desire to give that he has to form the blood covenant in order to put it in a framework where your mind doesn't argue with it. So we took it out of that and we put it into theology. I ain't even going to comment on that. I don't have to. You know the result. Well, is it really God's will today? Well, I don't know. Let's see. Let's debate over this. We're going to have a debate every night this week. Is it experiential or is it only legislistic or however, whatever use of words they got? Man, they... What is that word, Gloria, we heard the other day? It's about... It's about that long. <laughs> I don't remember what the word is. Big word, one of the biggest words I ever heard. Never heard it, but twice the reason I don't remember it now. It means using words nobody knows. I mean, estocuciferental or something like that. I mean, whew, it might as well have been that. I mean, it means about as much to me, you know. <laughs> whew, yeah, I understand. Go, come, sit down, get, you know, I understand that. <laughs> All right. Let's read on here. For men, this 16th verse, men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all debate. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise. Now, you remember we found out in the Word that if you belong to Jesus, you're heir of the promise, right? To show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things, the bread and the wine, the signs of the covenant. Somebody said, I thought it was the Word and the blood. Well, certainly it's the Word. I mean, what do you think the Word is? But the covenant, it's the sworn oath that the Word is true. So the oath or the bread and the wine are the two immutable, unchangeable things that God is saying, I bring you the bread and I bring you the wine, my body and my blood. I swear in the blood of my son and in the body of my son that I will never leave you nor forsake you even to the end of the age. Amen. Now, this phrase right here, I want you to really latch on to. By two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation or strong inner knowing who have fled for refuge, fled for refuge. What is fleeing for refuge? What is a refugee? Huh? That's somebody fleeing the current terror, fleeing the disaster. Huh? Refugees out of a country because of some tyrannical despot that's taken over and killing everybody. The Jews were refugees. The people were refugees out of 
communism or whatever, you know what I'm talking about. They're fleeing for refuge. Refuge is a place of safety where nobody can get to you. The Bible says the name of Jesus is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and are safe there. We have a strong inner strength, a strong peace, a strong foundation, or an anchor is another word that's used right here in this same text. Who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth in that within the veil where the forerunner for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest. Oh, now there's a lot of words there. Now let's back up and let's talk about this a second. We've talked about that blood covenant. Jesus came and shed his blood. The rest of this chapter over into the 7th, 8th, and ninth chapters of the book of Hebrews is explanation of what Jesus did when he shed his blood and his body was broken and left lifeless lying in that tomb. And he went into the pit of hell and there he suffered Adam's transgression. He took Adam's sentence for the entire human race and suffered for it. All of it. All of the rage that sin could put forth and suffered him there three days and three nights in the belly of the earth as Jonah was in the belly of the whale. But then the sin question was settled. The penalty had been borne. The sentence had been paid. Jesus is an ex-convict. He was in prison, imprisoned in hell itself. That's the reason he has a heart for prisoners. He said, I was in jail and you visited me not. And they said, when were you ever in jail? He said, if you've done it to the least of one of these my brethren, you've done it to me. He's been there. He knows what it's like. And so he went into the heart of the earth and there he suffered. But then when the sin question was settled, or in other words, when it was paid for, then God said, that's enough. Get your hands off of it. And in the first chapter of the book of Hebrews, we see the very words that God spoke. It's recorded there, the very words that he spoke when he raised Jesus up from the dead. And the word of God said again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever. Let all the angels of God worship him. And the power in his words caused Jesus to be reborn in the very bottom of hell itself. And a reborn man was raised up in mighty power and defeated all principalities and all powers. Hallelujah. And he came up out of that tomb and he walked out of there and said, All authority has been given unto me both in heaven and now, after that, tonight, because of our time element, we won't go into to read all that, 
But I pray that God will get an opportunity to before our meetings over this week because it explains it all. He went into the heavenly sanctuary, the holiest place in existence, the holiest of holies. And the Bible said where Moses built the sanctuary on earth, it was the pattern or the copy of the real thing which is in heaven. That real sanctuary really exists and it is the most holy place of all, and the Word says it is the most holy place of all because it is where the copy of the covenant is kept. God calls that the holiest place there is. And His blood was shed on that heavenly seat of mercy or the seat of agape. Well, that covenant is in Jesus' blood cleansed the heavenly utensils of worship and the heavenly holy of holies. But then the Bible said the Holy Ghost came in order to write the covenant in our hearts. The heart of a man, and I'll prove it to you in the book of Hebrews for the week's up. You don't want to miss none of this. The heart of a man, according to God's word, is the holiest place in all of existence. That's where the copy of the word is kept. That is now the residence of the Holy Spirit. It is now the residence of the name of Jesus. It is now the residence of the very law of God. It is now the residence of all that is holy and was bought and paid for by that blood. And it's called entrance into the most holy place by a new and living way. That was God's entrance into your heart and it's your entrance into His. Now, we flee for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. Which hope we have that has entered in behind the veil where our forerunner Jesus entered for us. That's in heaven's most holy sanctuary. Now listen, that hope, you remember what Hebrews 11 one said? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Lay hold on the hope that is set before us. Think, think, turn off your religion and all the junk you've heard about certain things like that. Think. Our little old communion, and I'm not talking about you going home and changing all your communion rooms. That isn't it. You just change the hearts of the people. But our little Gentileized communion service, well, we got this little rinky-dink cup about that big, you know, that little piece of cracker. The Jewish people, the reason the letter to the Hebrews uses the phrase, hope set before you. 
because their hope of deliverance was the blood covenant between God and their father Abraham and it was set before them on the table of the Passover. And it represented, the lamb represented eventually the body of Jesus. It was set before them. So the Apostle Paul comes down to Corinth and he teaches this to these Gentile folks and I mean, you know, they don't know the way. Big deal. You know, whoo! And so they, 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 they're taught, you know, to sit down to the table. So they went to the church and they ate until they couldn't hardly get out of the church and got stumbling, falling down drunk. So they got in a ditch over on that side. There wasn't anything about the blood covenant involved with it. They just having a big die. Go down there and get drunk. So Paul said, ain't you got houses to eat in? So what do we do? We jumped out of the ditch on that side and went right straight across the road and jumped in the ditch over on this one. We don't even bother with the table anymore. We got this funny looking thing up there at the front of the church that's in remembrance of me. What does that mean? And got all these little bitty glasses. Well, we ain't gonna get drunk on this, I can tell you right now. Unless this stuff's got something in it I ain't never heard of before. And you're sure not gonna get full on, on this. So it's not the container nor the substance. I've thought on this and had people get right up and say, uh, Brother Copeland, are we supposed to use real wine or grape juice? <laughs> Don't make any difference. Do it right. That doesn't have anything to do with it. I mean, get off over there. Forget all about this refuge that's been provided for us because of a blood covenant between God Almighty who can't fail and Jesus of Nazareth who can't fail, an immortal resurrected man and an immortal forever living God. You can't break the new covenant. Did you know that? It can't be broken. You can violate it, but you can't do away with it because it's between God and Jesus. And if you'll run to Jesus, the blood's still in force. It'll reinstate your fellowship back into it. You can't break the thing. There ain't no way. That's the reason it doesn't have a curse on it. We're redeemed from the curse. The curse has been taken off of the thing. The only things left are the promises of exceeding great power. Hallelujah. So what, how do you do this? The hope that is set before us, which hope we have that has gone, that goes into that most holy place in heaven. Where Jesus went first as our forerunner and placed his blood on the copy of this oath, the original one, that's in that place tonight in all languages of heaven and man. The blood is still alive and it's still there. The blood of Jesus. And there's a book in there called the Lamb's Book of Life. And your name is in there. Now, physical problems? Take refuge. Run to the hiding place. 
go to God with the bread and the wine. Oh, God. I lay hold of the hope that's set before me. My hope's better than sickness and disease. That's not my hope. That's not my lot in life. Sickness and disease and poverty is not my lot in life. I have a blood covenant with the Almighty God. I'm a joint heir with Jesus. I'm an heir to divine health. And you're sitting there with your copy of this thing open. What happens? The picture, the hope, the design of your totally well being that's been bought and paid for suddenly is in the Holy of Hosts and comes up before a holy God, the prayers of the saints. He sees it. It's real there. If you could see it, I mean, it'd be you standing there, worshiping God, standing with that blood and that bread before that heavenly mercy seat and the devil screaming his brains out down there trying to accuse you of something and he can't penetrate. You are the blood washed. You are the blood bought. You are the victorious. You are laying hold of the hope that's set before you on that table of deliverance. And as your, your lips are crossed by the blood of the Lamb, the words of Jesus ring in your consciousness. This is my blood covenant. Drink ye all of it. This is my blood of the new agreement, the new covenant, the new promise of exceeding power. By my stripes, ye were healed. His body broken for me. And I put that in my mouth. And I say, yes. Yes. I receive it. Mine, bless God. The devil walks in there and says, you know, it might not be God's will. Throw that empty cup at it. <laughs> Don't make any difference whether it's his will or not. He's already sworn in blood. Jesus already been raised from the dead. Too late for him to change his mind now. Ain't no use in him changing that. Don't make any difference if he did. He's not, but it wouldn't make any difference if he did. He can't afford to. It'd destroy him. Are you listening to me? That's laying hold of the hope that's set before you. Instead of walking the floor, oh God, what am I going to do about my children? Oh God, I mean, they're this and they're that and they're so bad and they're so going, oh God, I mean, why don't you run to the refuge? Why don't you go to the table? Instead of going in there second Tuesday every month, and then walk out the front door of the church, how are you getting along? Oh, I'm afraid my kids are on dope didn't mean a hootin' nanny. I mean, you might as well have been sitting in there saying, twinkle, twinkle, little star. How I wonder what you are. Oh, thank you for the glass of juice. There's no faith mixed with that. And that's what he got on these Hebrew people about in the first four chapters of the thing. He said the word preached to them was not mixed in faith and they slipped and they slid That's my introduction. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm just now ready to tell you what I want to tell you. Well, we, we'll get it before the week's up. Praise God. Lay hold. If you're having marital problems, did you ever notice that if, if you and your wife are fussing, and as long as you're saying, Oh, God, change my wife. Oh, God, change my wife. You notice it don't ever happen. And she said, Oh, God, change my husband. My husband's so bad I'm losing my marriage. Oh, Brother Copeland, I want you to pray that my husband will come back. Well, most of the time I said, Lady, I, I don't believe I will. <laughs> After getting a load of you, I wouldn't come back either. Because after about 10 minutes of hearing her talk. Brother Coleman, I want you to pray for me. What you, well, sure, what, what is it? My husband just run off and left me. Left me with four kids to support. Left me with all this work to do. I want you to pray, God, to get him back in here where he belongs and take up his responsibility. Man, I wouldn't move back in there either. Dear God, she whoop a man in a fair fight. And blame it on God. You know, claim it's her mission from God. Wake up every morning with her old knuckles right up in your face. I don't want nothing to do with her God either. Drag me down at that church and that pastor stand up there in the pulpit and agree with her. See, that's what's going on through, through people's minds. Whether it's so or not, that's what he's thinking because the devil's pumping it in there. But it's altogether a different thing. When you say, Lord, if he don't want to live with me, I'm called to peace and love. My first concern is that he doesn't go to hell. Oh, God, I don't want him going to hell. I don't care whether he never comes home again, whether I never see his face again until I get to heaven. Oh, Jesus. Now you're getting somewhere. And you go pick up that cup and say, Jesus, this is the cup of the covenant in your blood. And I'm standing in the place of my wife. I'm standing in the gap for her right now. I'm holding your blood up to you, Jesus. I'm holding your agreement. I'm holding you to agreement to your covenant right now. And your covenant says, pray ye the Lord of the harvest, get laborers across the field. I pray you get laborers across her path. You know who she'll listen to. You know, you know who can get her attention. Oh, Jesus, protect her and watch over, but get laborers across her path. Oh, yeah, and Jesus, your covenant says, if you're going to spoil a strong man's house, first bind him and you shall enter his house. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, thank you because I accept that as part of your promise to me. And in the name of Jesus, I take your covenant blood and you drink that blood and I take your body as two immutable signs that you can't lie in your word. And I'm about to turn on the devil and I'm about to rip him up every way but Sunday. And I want to thank you right now that my wife's saved and I'll never call her anything else. I'll never treat her any other way. I'll never say anything else if I never see her again till I get to heaven. And I'm planning on her being there. 
and then turn on the devil and say, you spirit operating in the life of, uh, and call her by name. You spirit operating in her life to keep her out of the kingdom of God. I bind you by the blood of the covenant of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You desist in your maneuvers against her. I claim her in the name of Jesus for the kingdom of God. And you just see how long it takes for them to get saved. But you, you, you're, you're bringing the covenant to bear. You're bringing it to bear before the very throne of hope. There's a picture all of a sudden of that person getting saved. And there's a picture of the right witnesses coming across their life all being acted out in the, in the very throne room, in the very sanctuary of God. It's all being played out up there and settled up there. And then the angels go into force to bring that picture to pass that they just saw. Brother, that's Christianity. That's what this thing's all about. Heaven and earth working together, co-laborers with God. Hallelujah. That's what thrilled me so today. See, I was thinking about all this when I read that in the book of Acts where Cornelius' money went up before God. His prayers and his money came up as a what? Memorial. Where do you get the word memorial, Jim? Memory, remembrance, covenant, An everlasting remembrance. It was standing there behind the veil where Jesus had gone and shed his blood. And there was a picture standing there of Cornelius and all of his offerings stacked up there in front of him and standing there looking God in the face. And God said, we got to do something about this. It's come up before me. It's filling the room up. You ever seen a hologram? You know what a hologram is? It's a, it's a projection of a three-dimensional picture. Not just flat like this, but a, when you project a hologram, it looks like the real thing's standing there. You can walk around behind it and see the backside of it. It's three-dimensional. That's what hope is in the heavenly. In the heavenlies, hope doesn't need any faith in it to make it real because it's there in the Spirit and there's no challenge to it. And if you walked in there, if you walked into that sanctuary and there was Cornelius's memorial standing up there looking God in the face, in heaven it would have been firm to the touch. because spiritual things are firm in heaven. But on the earth, they operate at too high a molecular speed for natural earth eyes to see them. So they're not firm on the earth. Natural things are firm on the earth, and it's divided by the speed of light. The speed of light and above is the speed of light and below is earthly things. Heaven see both sides. Earth can't. The angels are here. You just can't see them. Their molecular structure is too fast for your eyes to see. But if God slowed them down or speeded you up or opened your spiritual eyes where you could see in the Spirit, you'd see them in there. They're all over this place. They are all over this place. You get to talking about that blood, brother. You get to talking about the blood covenant. You get to talking about God's sworn oath. And I want you to know they come in on the broken. Oh, man, I mean angels from everywhere come in. Thousands and thousands and thousands of them. Why? 
Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who shall be heirs of salvation? I mean, they see that thing in the heavenly. There's that picture standing there, and they say, well, well that's our job right there. We've got to take the picture of this and take it to earth and take the faith that, that is there and bring it into manifestation in this physical seeing realm. One fellow and I prayed over his brother like that. <laughs> His brother called him about three days later. He said, what are you doing? He said, what do you mean, what am I doing? He said, everybody I see tells me about Jesus. You're doing something. I know you're doing something. What are you doing? He said, what do you mean? He said, I picked up a hitchhiker. He got in my car talking about Jesus and handed me a Bible. looked like a newspaper. Said, I beat all I ever saw. Said, I went into the bank. I'm standing there in the line where the teller is. And he said, I walked up there and the guy turned around, this funny grin on his face, started talking to me about Jesus. He said, I walk out on the street. Some guy walking down the street started talking to me about Jesus. He said, well, what else? And then he started laughing real big. He said, you know what else? He said, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Bless God, that's what else? said, that's the reason I'm calling you. <laughs> what was happening? The Lord of the harvest sending laborers across his path. We bound the devil. He didn't have a word to say. I don't know that that hitchhiker was a man. Who knows? Ain't none of my business. I don't care who he sends down there. He knows who can do the job. Now, angels don't preach the gospel, but they sure can help and assist. The angels went down to Cornelius' house. God said, get them angels to work down there. This, this guy's filled up the house with this. I can't see around it. His money, he, look at that. His money's come up before. Man not even saved. Turning heaven upside down. Oh, God don't care nothing about money. Boy, he did that day, didn't he? That guy's money got all over him. Standing up there as a memorial. Got to God's memory. What does that mean, a, a memorial? It caused God to remember his covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that raised Jesus from the dead. And Jesus is sitting there at the right hand of God and said, uh, I told him, if, you know, that I'd confess them before you. Cornelius. And God could have even said, well, now, wait a minute, he's not one of ours. He's never been born again. That's his money. <laughs> I've been using his money. <laughs> we got to do something. Get Peter over there. He won't have nothing to do with him because he's not a Jew. Don't tell me they're still hanging on to that. <laughs> yeah, he won't have nothing to do with him because he's not a Jew. I'll fix that. You get those angels and you get them down there to Cornelius and tell him what to go and where to go and by the time they get to Peter's house, I'll, I'll, I'll fix the fishermen. You just, you, you, you get the angels down there and tell the Holy Ghost to get ready. Because I, I, well, you know how Peter is. We get him turned on. Dear God, <laughs> So Peter says, I'm going to go up here on the housetop for a while. God said, that's good. That's a good place for you to be, boy. 
<laughs> got him up there and whap! Fell in a trance and started seeing in the spirit world. Something to do with it. And, and those angels had to hold that big old sheep and God said, let that thing down there in front of it. He let it down there and he said, Peter, kill and eat. Ha-ha! See, even in a vision, his tradition gets the best of it. Peter, kill and eat. ha Unclean as if he was. 